Crimson Tower Studios. Welcome to the Old World Podcast, the unofficial podcast for Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay and the original podcast to bring you both discussion and actual play in 4th edition. I'm one of your hosts, Lance, and I'm joined today by my co-hosts, Steve and Matt. How are you gentlemen doing tonight? Doing good, Lance. Glad to be here. Doing wonderful. (laughs) Excellent. So uh, what have you guys been up to as far as gaming this month? Well, gaming this month, I've uh, been trying to get back into Final Fantasy XV, oh, yeah. um, Star Wars Battlefront Two. I know they're going through updates, uh, so those are fun. New skins, new maps. It's been a blast. Also been trying to get into The Lone Wolf. That's also by Cubicle 7. It's a good read. Yeah, I'm excited about that. You're going to run us through that soon for uh, absolutely for, for one of our Patreon exclusive. Can't wait. Uh, yeah. You're going to drop that little thing. Yes. Yes. Right, so be on the lookout for some more announcements on that later. But uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to playing some Lone Wolf. Yeah, it's really interesting. Like, I don't know very much about that system, but it uses a single D10 for all your rolls. Is that right? Uh, You can do like a random chart, flip the coin in, there's luck test, uh, but most of it's, yeah, dice. Okay. That's cool. I've actually been getting into Final Fantasy myself. So uh, I went back to Final Fantasy 15 after our last talk. I actually was like, man, I really need to play episode Gladiolus. So I did, (laughs) and I beat it. And uh, it was pretty short, but it was fun. It just took me back remembering, ah, man, I I just love the Final Fantasy 15. It was really good. It was really fun. So I also picked up Secret of Mana. and uh, That's a good one. Yeah, yeah, I've uh, I'm playing it a little bit, and getting into it. The new graphics and stuff for the PlayStation Four are pretty awesome, and I'm trying to convince my wife to play it with me because you can play up to three players on it. So legit, I'm excited. So nice. But I haven't gotten a ton of time into that, but that's what I've been up to. Very cool. Well, the thing for me that I'd like to talk about is a convention that I just went to last weekend. Right? Yeah, last weekend, and that is Grand Con, which takes place in Grand Rapids, Michigan. It was very fun. We were there Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. The thing I love about this con is that there's a lot of vendors there, and even big-name vendors in the board game world uh, and role-playing game world as well. But this one, the focus is definitely on playing games. So for me, this year has been very busy. I went to Origins. I went to Gen Con. We went to Gen Con. And then I went again uh, with my wife and some friends to Grand Con. And this Grand Con is the, the convention I look to more than any other because I don't have to worry about crazy traffic i don't need to worry about running to a booth to get a copy of a game it's just you go there and play games in three days we played 25 games of those i want to say like 17 or 18 were brand new games to us that we never played before awesome wow we had a great time and any of our listeners who live in the michigan area midwest area grand con is a must no matter what happens to me in the future, I'm going to make sure Grand Con is always the con we go to every year. It's it's always on my wish list every year, but it just seems to get cut. I was it was going to be my number one until Gen Con this year, and then I was yeah, like, uh, uh, Gen Con was a blast. Right. I the, also, I mean, Gen Con was great. Don't get me wrong, but this one had a different feel. It was more about just meeting people and playing games and yeah, having right. a good time. Yeah, Gen Con's like a, a beast. Yes, yeah. <laughs> you got to like plan every day. Yeah, you know, bring yeah. snacks and drinks and. Grand Con's a lot, a lot more laid back, way more laid back. Awesome. Well, very cool. Let's move on to announcement and news. Uh, this is a part of the show where we keep you up to date on Woofrip and related news. We scour the web for juicy leaks and bits to satiate your Warhammer Fantasy roleplay hunger. In Cubicle 7 related news, the hard-boiled GM shoe questions and answers with Annie Law and T.S. Lucart. 
This was a fourth edition questions and answers uh, chat session where the community was given the opportunity to ask Andy and Tias about the game. They discussed quite a bit. A few new things we learned from this. I'm going to just break it down here. They are currently sourcing the possibility of a poster map for the Reichland map, which would be awesome and amazing. Right. Yes. Uh, this will be a separate product from the core book if released. I will be your first pre-order on that, Cubicle 7, FYI. I love maps. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think about the detail you already have in that map and the size that yes. we right. have it in, which right. is what, and, like 11 by 17? Yeah, and I read somewhere online, I think Andy alluded to the fact when people were asking for a higher resolution, his answer was more like, well, there's be on the lookout for posts. So I get the sense that we're going to see a much higher resolution for a poster sure. map, which <laughs> just makes me so Jeez, yeah, that's going to be <laughs> intense. Yeah. Uh, Roll20 support for Cubicle 7 is being looked into. Uh, a must nowadays if you want to be community supporting, I believe, for well, and a I feel like company. There's not, right? I mean, as far as resources that you need, if you're playing this online with other players, really all you need in front of you is a die or two dice and your, your character sheet. That replicating that on the, the service, hopefully will be something they'll they'll get finished up pretty but, quick. But it's not just that. It's about right doing a pose test or you know oh, so true. those into so what it is is you already have your stats and you just click on the pose and it gives you the result automatically, the success level and stuff. I know that for second edition they make that really, really easy. So I don't know how much goes into that sure. though, to be I, honest. Like you yeah. have to build character sheets and then link all the code and all that. I I don't know. But anyway, it'd be really cool if they do that. I mean that that's one of the things I feel that shows nowadays companies that are doing that are really trying hard to right. support community right. online. Right. So uh there are also plans for dedicated books for different species. Yay. Uh <laughs> there will be guides for other grand provinces, which would be wonderful. Mm-hmm. Expand the Empire. They do plan to have an early release PDF for the starter. But, of course, this may change depending on, on who you ask. There are plans to cover Skaven and Undead in the initial year of release. That's exciting. Yeah, yes, sure it is. Um, the GM screen is planned. Yes. Yes, need that bad. That is, uh, <laughs> that'll be an immediate buy for me. Yep. The errata will be PDF only and will be updated sporadically as things change. As new printings are done, of course, uh, some updates will be done to the core as well. Albion will be covered. So excited Classic. about that. Starter set dice will not be bog standard boring ten sided dice. This makes me happy. Please, 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 Cubicle Seven, make sure they look beautiful and are easily readable yes. too from a distance able to on the tell. table. Yeah, uh, the master index was created with future releases in mind and will be maintained as long as it can. So um, this is talking yeah. about like careers and stuff like that, right? And, and I'm not entirely sure how they're going to do that and and what happens when the master index mm. can't be updated anymore. That'll be interesting, but um, it, was, it was nifty to hear that. Araby, Nippon, and Cathay are not currently on the list for planned supplements. Andy did tease a possibility of addressing Nehekara. Which, that's, that's I don't know. I can't yeah. think of a more terrifying right. way to kill your character than going into the land of, of the, the dead. dead. Why would you want to, <laughs> unless you had a treasure like, that sounds I mean. That sounds yeah. more dangerous and terrifying than going into Sylvania, it, honestly. It's all about incentive, right? Right. So as a GM, you make the incentive good enough, anybody will go there. Right. Like, you keep adding gold crowns, eventually you're going to hit that <laughs> threshold where it's like, well, we have to go now. Right. <laughs> We'd be foolish not to. And they're dead. <laughs> and they're dead. Uh, there is a possibility for organized play. Which, that's cool. Yep. And there's more talk about communication changes from Cubicle 7. 
Yeah, they've been talking about that for weeks now. About I think with their move to Ireland, their headquarters and stuff, they're saying once that's all settled, they're going to get even more logged into getting better communication with nice. us. Nice. So. so those are all the the main points from the hard-boiled GM Shoe question to answer with Andy Law and T.S. Lucart. Uh, you can find this information on GM Shoe's website at gmshoe.wordpress.com. Yeah, a lot of good information there. Very cool. Speaking of T.S. Lucart, he was a guest on episode 125 of the Skirmish Supremacy podcast. That is a podcast that includes an hour-long discussion with T.S. about the core rulebook and much more as well. There's a few things we learned from that, which, boy, after everything you just went through, Steve, we're news-heavy, which is very cool. It really is. And, and honestly, I, I don't even know that I nailed everything from both of those. So like, right. definitely go back and look at the transcripts for the Q&A and go listen to this podcast. Oh, like, absolutely. Like it's a, it's a really cool interview, and they get talking about just fun stuff. Yeah, it's very exciting. It's, it's so much better than it's coming. We'll <laughs> right. see hearing it, hearing it right <laughs> in the, the near source. future. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So one of the coolest things we learned is that the core rulebook is supposed to be shipping by the end of this month, which is September of 2018. That means that most will receive theirs in October with stores having them probably in November, which would be great for the holiday shopping season for sure. Right. The collector's edition release is about two and a half weeks behind the core. So if you pre-ordered for that, first off, hats off to you. It's going to be amazing, I'm sure. But Yeah, they have a long conversation on there about eBay prices. Oh, well, I'm sure. I'm sitting there going, gosh, I, I should have bought four or five. Uh, I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that would have been like a college fund starter right there. Right. The starter set PDF should release within the next week or two, which is very exciting. We'll definitely be digging into that as soon as we possibly can. Absolutely. The physical starter set will be sent to the printer very soon. And he said that they can expect that to get the physical copy sometime in November or December. The first supplement is going to be Rough Nights and Hard Days. They hope to have that completed by the end of the year, but probably Q1 of 2019 is more like it. Yeah, they talk a little bit more about this on the podcast as well, like um, just kind of talking about what some of the uh, some of these adventures are built off of some you know original adventures from earlier editions and things like that, and just some some nifty yeah. discussion. So that's it's pretty cool. Lastly, Dominic McDowell, the CEO of Cubicle 7, is planning on announcing what we can expect for next year that is going to include releases before the end of this year as well. Basically, from what he was saying on the podcast there, Dominic is going to actually essentially give us a breakdown of here's what you can expect for I, the entire next year of releases. I almost us. feel like it's a state of the Warhammer union, you know? Oh, that does. That sounds cool. <laughs> You can find out more information about this interview with TS at skirmishsupremacy.com. All right, our last bit of news. Graham Davis wrote an excellent article for the new Vermintide update for Bogenhofen and discusses the history of the setting and Warhammer in general. It's an excellent read. Be sure to check it out. You can find that article at vermintide.com forward slash news. Yeah, there's a lot of cool information in there. I'm the newest of the three of us in the Warhammer world, but Bogenhofen has always kind of stuck out to me as a place that sounds really awesome. All right, so let's move on to the main topic tonight. So this is part two of our three-part series where we do a full review of Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay 4th Edition. Tonight we get into the crunchy bits as we dig fully into the rules and combat. So, old worlders, join us tonight as we review, give our opinions, and debate the heck out of advantage 
and crunch level while we continue our review into the wonderfully bloody tome that is Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay 4th Edition. Before we start, though, we do need to start with a small correction from our last show. We had said for each time you have a talent, you gain plus one success level on any use of a skill that's tied to that talent. In our example, we included failing the skill test by two success levels, but succeeding instead if you had taken the talent three times. This is actually not true. The actual rule states for each time you have the talent, you gain one success level on any successful use of the skill tied to the talent. Our bad. Yes. So, yeah, yeah, we had a couple of people let us know about that, and we appreciate that. Yeah, I just somehow glossed over the word successful when yeah. I read that. So, yeah. But anyway, still, it's makes very perfect cool. sense that you have to be successful to gain those bonuses. Right, but. right. So, I mean, it might have a little less utility than I originally thought, but it's still right. very... I use this test all the time. Right. I want to do better, yeah. right? Success levels can matter. Yeah, so. gaining an extra... You know, if you have two instances of that talent, two success levels can be a pretty big deal. Right. That can be the difference between injuring your foe and killing your foe or, or how much information you get out of that perception test or exactly, you know, that language test or that whatever you're doing. So, so man, are you ready for this guys? Here we go. Here we go. Let's start with rules. All right. One of the things, this is on the, on the second page of the rules portion of the rule book. And I love this. I think it is, of critical importance, and that is the golden rule for role-playing. And that basically says, if a rule negatively impacts the fun that your group is having, change that rule. And I do that quite a bit when I'm GMing, because more than anything, if my players are having fun, if they're laughing, if they're really getting into it, then that's what really matters. So if there's a lot of times that when I'm GMing specifically, I'll leave something little out that's just going to lead to bogging down the rules you know, for the sake of having more fun. Absolutely. That's like the golden rule. You see that on a lot of yeah. role-playing games that they clearly state that out. I would argue that that's a rule regardless of what game system, regardless if it's in the book or not. Yeah. That rule in the, the essentially the GM is always right rule. Rule zero in the golden rule. Those are those <laughs> are it, two important ones. Let me, let me also say this. If you don't think that the golden rule is a real thing, you've never been a GM. So <laughs> Fair. In, in my, at least in my GMing experience. Yeah. Just have fun. Have fun gaming. That's always what we should all be doing. All right, so the first type of rule we're going to talk about is making tests, skill tests that include things from perception to making attacks. Those are all different types of tests. The first one we're going to talk about is a simple test. I mean, it's the classic test, just like we saw in second edition, where you have a goal, you roll a D100, and your goal is to get that number or below. Basic. Very basic, right. standard test. The most simple to understand, for this, sure. This should not be hard for anyone that is aware of the how a D100 system works. Right. So one thing that's built into these tests is automatic failure and automatic success. So if you roll a 1 through a 5, it's an automatic success. If you roll a 96 to 100, it's an automatic failure. And that kind of replicates the feeling you'd get in a D20 system, where if you roll a 1, it's an automatic failure. If you roll a 20, it's an automatic success. Right, right. So one of the other things I really like about this is on, on page 151, it talks about great game rules. So these are important things that also relate to whether or not you're having fun at the table. So some of the things listed on here, making sure that everybody invited is having fun and make sure that everybody's included. So if you have a player that is quiet or if they're, they're not being included for whatever reason, that you find a way to make sure that they have a say in what's happening Make sure to discuss things like table manners beforehand, whether or not 
uh, eating or use of electronic devices is allowed, which is always good. Um, respecting your GM. I need to tell all my players that I need to like put that <laughs> on a sign and say, respect nice. your GM because I can own you if I want. Right. So all good rules to have for playing any game, but role playing games, uh, for sure. Especially because so much of what you're coming up with is more connected to real life than other games that you might play. So it's good to, to know limits and to make sure again, that everybody's having fun. Absolutely. Those, those are all great. Right. So new to this system is the dramatic tests. So this is where you are again looking for uh, success levels. Yeah. I, this is one of the things where, you know, other systems can have multiple axes of success and you can succeed, but maybe not as well. Right. So success levels are, there's a table on here that breaks them down. If you have zero to one success, then it was a marginal success, which means yes, you succeeded, but there was some consequence to the fact that you just barely right. squeaked it out. So there's marginal success. Two to three is just your standard success. You succeeded solidly and it goes all the way up to plus six, which is considered an astounding success. This is where you, you not only succeeded, but you did in such a impressive way that it gave you some other beneficial outcome or was at the very least awesome. Which we've had that happen in our games already. Oh yeah. So absolutely. That elf with her perception. Yes. Yeah. Goodness. <laughs> wow. Pretty sure I used the phrase a million success levels at one point because <laughs> right. it was like eight or nine. Not even on the chart, to be fair. <laughs> Not on the chart. So on the flip side of that, you also have your marginal failure, your failure, and these are just um, more failure levels, uh, negative success levels that you have. Very cool. This allows it to be more than just a, a yes, no, right? So it, right. it gives more to that. So when you're making these tests, a lot of times the GM will tell you the difficulty. So depending on the difficulty, you're either going to add a certain number to your what you roll with your dice or subtract it. So for example, if what you're trying to do is very easy, then the difficulty is going to give you a plus 60 modifier, which in most cases is going to mean it's a success. Right. Not always, as we know. <laughs> yeah. So very easy is plus 60, easy is 40, average is plus 20. So what's interesting is that the easier you get, it's going up by intervals of 20. This is so smart. I yeah. think we, we talked about this a little bit in our initial thoughts when we reviewed at Gen Con. So smart. I'm so happy. But this is probably the primary thing for me that takes the issues for normal tests out of second edition. Right. right? Yeah. Easy was only, you're only going up by a small amount, which means, especially if your characteristic is only 25, that, I mean, it's going to be tough. Yep, right. I was about to say the same thing in second edition. If if it was really easy, if you had twenty five, you still have to roll like a fifty five. Yeah, <laughs> right. So it's still half half. Oh yeah, right. Well, and that's yeah. like so. This thing is because av- right as a GM, I'm making decisions on the fly, and the number one thing I look at to determine the difficulty is like how this is worded. Do I think this is average? Do I think it's easy? Do I think it's hard? Like I'm making a gut decision on that on the fly. So if I go oh, this is just an average check. Well, in second edition, that's a plus minus zero. You get no bonus. Right. And your your core statistic is usually around 30. So right. that means you have a 70% chance to fail something that should be average to do. Yes. At least, so in this system, it means you're looking at the same like average stat of a human of 30. That's at least with, a 50% with chance. With plus 20 is right, with, right there. Right. At and, a, that's, at and that's a huge average. difference. Yeah. Giant difference, right? And, and easy, I think, is plus 20 in that, or maybe even plus 10. I don't remember. I'd have to go look. But again, easy here is plus 40, right? So your average human at that point is doing a uh, 70% chance of succeeding 
yes. at that point. So anyway, huge, huge fan of this new difficulty yeah, table. It, definitely, it makes sense. It definitely breaks that dance fighting type of thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like not even the opponent can hit you. <laughs> right. It's just right. back and forth. But. Yep. Yep, absolutely. So the next type of test that we're going to talk about is an opposed test. This is where you're comparing one success level to another. So if you're fighting against, say, a goblin or right. a horde of goblins, which you'd be dead, but uh, whoever you're fighting against, if you have three success levels, they have two, then you are the one who right. succeeded on that and test. And this is another reason why that whiff factor that you were referring right. to, Steve, is gone. And, and we'll get more into this in the combat right. in a second. We'll talk about advantage yeah, for sure. Right. Love this test so much. And these opposed tests, you'd think that it'd be difficult. And I think we've said this in the past still. After one session, and you can just you're just quickly going negative one yeah. plus five, plus two. Yeah, because you you yeah. you know yeah. all yeah. you're doing is looking at it's simple subtraction, right? And they right. they made it even simpler than than subtracting your what you roll versus what your goal was. Just right. look at that tens digit right. subtraction, and you're good to go. Yeah, it's simple, right? In an opposed test, you both can fail, but somebody still succeeds, right? Right. So you got a you know negative two success level, and the other person got a negative five success level. Well. You got three success levels higher than them, even though you still failed. You right. are the one that wins that opposed test. Right, you failed less. Right, yeah. exactly. And but it works. It works so well. Yeah, it keeps it going. It, we miss that whiff factor. We don't miss it, but yeah. it's, the fact that it's gone is is nice. Right. So the other type of test that we're going to talk about, and this is, I can't imagine it's probably going to come up super often. I don't think we've had it come up in our game so far, but that is the extended test. This is where you have multiple success levels that are added together. And as you're making these tests, you can never drop below zero. That would be when you overall like fail the test. Right. But it's a great way of building tension. And I think it actually might say that even yeah. in the example or the yeah. rules or something. So they, they use yeah. picking a lock as an example. Right. So you can take this test multiple times trying to continually pick this lock, pick it, you know, assuming that every little success you have is enough to where you'll finally get it eventually. But, Right. As soon as you drop below that zero success level, that zero amount, then you know either your pick breaks or you're right. been alerted to you know somebody's been alerted right. to you being there or whatever the case is. Or and then and you can use this as a GM right to put time limits on stuff right. So okay, great, you can do this absolutely. This is an extended test. You need to get five levels of success to do it. Each test costs you a round, and you have four rounds before the guard walks by or whatever. You right. know that's awesome. So. Coming soon to an actual play near you. Nice. <laughs> All right. So last thing is assisting. So other characters can assist you with a check. Uh, there's a couple requirements for that, though. In order to assist, the character would need to have at least one advance in a skill that's being tested, which makes sense. You can't, can't you know, assist with can't something assist you without, don't know how to do. Right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, assisting characters most often need to be adjacent to the character that's making the test if it's something that you're doing physically. Uh, with one another helping somebody over a tall wall or something like that. You may not assist on tests that are made to resist disease, poison, fear, hazards, or anything else that the GM deems inappropriate. So stuff like that are internal. So there's not really a way that somebody could assist you with it. And you may not be assisted by more characters than you have in the appropriate characteristic bonus. So that's another chunky little thing to keep track of. Right. Just a few things, but it it makes sense. It's more of a common sense thing. It allows you to, not have somebody that doesn't know how to sail a boat at all assist somebody in sailing that boat. All right, on to combat. Dun, dun, dun. All right, the first thing we're going to talk about is timing. 
Uh, basically, with combats, you do combats in rounds. Think of each round as a few seconds, basically enough time for a character to move in a position or move an attack. It's real quick. Swing a sword, a shoot, a, yep. shoot an arrow. Uh, then, it's, it's really interesting yeah. to think about that. I've ran combats before that have taken hours to resolve mm-hmm. a single combat. When in reality, that actually only took, it was a few minutes of real time in the game. Right, correct, yep. So you you may think it's getting bogged down, but in reality, as far as what's happening, it's it's only gone a short period of time. Right. right. It's like a slow-mo movie. Yeah. Right? <laughs> right, kind of. Really slow. But I mean, talking in between. At the same time, too, though, this doesn't just represent a single sword swing, right? It's representing like parry and thrust and back and forth. In that way, the especially with this new system, it's much more narrative than the way like second edition did it. The the whiff factor and everything made it feel very much like a single swing of the sword. This is much more the back and forth. Who got the better handle right. on that? Right. I've actually thought about this a couple different ways and because I'm getting more and more into the world of role playing games, I like I, I was watching a movie the other day and I was watching the action on screen and thinking about it in terms of rounds of combat in a role playing game. So really? the movie that came to mind was Princess Bride. Okay. So when they're at the top of the cliff, the two are fighting. They have this fencing duel, right? You and killed my mother. My yeah. Mother. Prepared to die. Prepared to die. Yeah. So they're, they didn't just stand there and swing their swords back and forth at each other, missing and hitting every now and then. They're like jumping around, jumping through, you know, across little ravines, down on rocks, rolling around. So Having if, a conversation if, the whole time. Right. Yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That'd be an awesome role play. Yes. But think about that. If you're a player, too, don't just think that, okay, well, I'm going to try to shoot a stormtrooper, so I'm just going to aim and shoot, aim and shoot, aim and shoot. That can get really boring after a while. So if you start to think about that, the crazy antics that you can do, you know, the fun things that you can do. I know as a GM, I reward that. If a guy right. wants to try to do, like, a jumping roundhouse off of a wall, cool. Let's try it. <laughs> Uh, to wrap up the timing, of course, in each round, each player gets a turn. Like like we said, you get to perform an action and a move. And then uh, there's the initiative order. Uh, each combatant usually takes their turn uh, in the order of their initiative characteristics. But there are different ways to get that initiative order. There's multiple ways to do it. I mean, it's pretty much up to the GM. You can just go by the initiative order of the actual characters. You might roll 1d10 and add it to your initiative you know, to get that randomness. Each character can roll 1d10 and add it to their agility bonus plus initiative bonus. You know, it depends on how you want to do it. Uh, there are tons of ways. Don't limit yourself. Yeah, this is a perfect example, by the way, of the optional rules in the book. There's little boxes throughout the book that include these optional rules. And, and I don't know if we've mentioned this specifically, but they're almost always in like these little boxes with like a little character. Yeah, it looks right. like parchment with like a wax seal. Right. And and then it goes, okay, hey, here's how the rules say to do it, but here's a bunch of other ways you can do it too. Salt really to taste. Reinforcing that. It's a great way of putting it. Yeah. Right. Right. That, I love it. That you, you tailor this to have fun, right? You don't need to... And who's to say you can try it and then partway through your session or your campaign go, okay, th- this way of doing initiative isn't working for us anymore. Let's try this way. So one of my favorite things about this edition is all the optional rules they give you. For the round, I should say the start of the first round, you want to determine surprise. You know, is anyone hidden? Uh, is anyone can get that extra bonus of surprising the enemy? Or you might be the ones that get surprised. And like I said, this usually only happens in the first round. Uh, circumstances change, of course, depending on the GM. Some extra guys might pop in. Basically, the round begins. 
Like I said, each player does their turn. The round will end when everyone has had their turn, and you pretty much repeat the process until either you're the last one standing or your opponents are. Right. So it's pretty straightforward. And, yep, they, exactly. and they have it listed out like one, two, three, four, five. So very simple. Right. And uh, going back to surprise, there are multiple ways for surprises. If you surprise your enemy, there's a big advantage. So if you can do it, do it as much as you can or try to. Um, there's different ways from hiding. Your characters might hide before the opponent comes. Sneaky tactics, maybe trigger something that makes a sound somewhere else, surprise them behind them. There's distractions, of course. Unprepared defenders, you just straight up, they don't know you're coming, they're not planning it, hit them hard. hard or and fast. something else, you right. know. Imagination, use it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great soundbite. And basically, with the combat, take, take your turn. Um, you can you have a move, so let's say you're in a room. Maybe you want to hide behind a table before you shoot. That's smart. Or move, pick up a chair, throw it. You know, just there's different things to do. And, of yeah. course, your action, depending on the weapon you have or what you have planned. If you're on a balcony, you might just throw a barrel over. Um, that wraps it up for move, action. Right. So, yeah. Okay, so moving on to attacking. Here's where we really start getting the nitty-gritty, guys. I'm not going to like walk you through this like tiny step by tiny step, but let's hit the, the big points and what makes this system great, okay? So in combat, when you're attacking, you have your roll-to-hit roll. Now, obviously, there are two essentially ways this, this can happen. You have your like melee, your hand-to-hand combat, right? Your close combat, if you will. And that is an opposed test. Right when we were talking earlier about whiff factor is gone, it's because of opposed tests primarily. When you're looking at those opposed tests, somebody always wins. So even if you both fail your check, whoever did better will still win. So if you're attacking someone, you're near the attacker, and you have negative two on your success levels, but your enemy got negative three, you still win that combat. You still hit and cause damage. And the damage that you cause, you're going to add your weapon to that, right? Your weapon will give you a certain damage. Usually it's strength bonus plus something or something to that effect. But then you add your success level. And to be clear, it's the difference in success level in your opposed test. In the example I just gave, a negative three versus a negative two, and I rolled the negative two, I beat them by one success level. Therefore, I'm going to add an extra damage. Now, what happens if I roll a plus seven, seven levels of success, and my enemy had negative one success level on their roll, I'm going to cause an extra eight damage when I hit them, Right, which is huge. So a lot of people are complaining Ulrich's Fairy is gone. Well, sort of. I mean, yeah. It's just different now. It's different, right. I'm not going to roll that D10 and look for the exploding dice. Well, don't get me wrong. That was a fun mechanic, but this is quicker, and it's there, and it reflects my generally either superior luck or superior skill in that combat and it can really make combats quick and bloody and a lot of damage um, especially if you you know have greater skill than than the other person it's it's great and even if you're the defender and you win you still get advantage which by the way winning your combat if you attack and you win you get advantage if you are the defender and you win you get advantage we're going to talk about advantage a little bit later but those are all part of the attacking process. So that's rolling to hit. And now technically you're determined a hit location when you do this, which there's a chart out there. What you're normally supposed to do is reverse 
the roll that you did. So if you rolled a 59, then you reverse that to be 95, or you roll a 36, you reverse that to be 63. And then you're going to look at the hit location chart, which will give you, you know, head, arm, body, etc. The reason it matters first is because someone might have armor, right? And their armor points will subtract from the amount of damage they take. In addition, you can get critical hits when you're attacking, and that's by rolling doubles. So an 11, a 22, et cetera. As long as you're winning your roll, you, you roll a critical, you're going to cause a critical hit. But guess what? A defender can cause a critical hit too. That's crazy. It's insane. And there's a whole critical hit table. Now, before we move on to the critical table, I want to talk really quick about the oops table, one of my favorite, favorite tables so far in this book. So if you roll your test and you fail the test in your combat, and you roll a critical, you roll on the oops table. Now to be clear, you can win your opposed test, but if you still roll and fail against your target number, so you have a negative success level, for example, and you roll a critical, a double, that's still considered a fumble, and then you roll on the oops table. And we talked a little bit about the oops table in the previous quick review of the system, but it's awesome. There are some really funny things in here. Yeah, including but not limited to accidentally hitting yourself. overextending yourself and causing a critical wound, like tearing a muscle, which is, that's a, that's a brutal hit for just making a, making a mistake. So to be clear, you could end up in a situation where your opponent crits you on the attack, you fumble and end up critting yourself also. Yes. (laughs) Right. Or at the extreme, you hurt one of your allies. Right. right, that too. Yeah. That's, that's an option. It just that, happened to me before in uh, actual play. It actually has. <laughs> Pretty sure you got shot with it, an arrow. I did. <laughs> I promise it wasn't me. <laughs> so anyway, that's it's awesome. It's so hilarious. Now, range combat works a little bit differently. Obviously, you don't have an opposed test. Now, there's an exception to this. If you have a shield, right, and there's a shield in play, you can actually end up having an opposed test against your ranged attack. But generally speaking... You're going to be shooting, and you're just going to roll against your normal characteristic, your normal skill level. Other than that, everything essentially works the same. You have some additional rules here, including two-weapon fighting and unarmed combat. These are kind of standard things, like two-weapon fighting. You can use weapon in your offhand, but you, when you make that attack, you have like a minus 20 penalty for any test if it's in your offhand. There are certain talents that can limit this or bring this down. Uh, you know, there's lots of different options. I'm not going to go into specifics, but the rules in there. And uh, one of the things I think is awesome is grappling. So as part of unarmed combat, you have grappling. Now, in my experience, grappling rules are generally, in most RPGs, the most complicated, crazy, insane rules. Now, I, to be fair, this ain't like a simple rule that we're looking at here, but it's simpler than most. You essentially do an opposed strength test to determine, you know, back and forth and cause damage, but you can then give your opponent an entangled condition, which an entangled condition limits your movement and gives you negatives to your test when doing any sort of skill check that involves movement. So it is a simple way to deal with, and you can end up with multiple statuses, multiple entangles that you then have to test to remove. Again, I'm not going to go in the deep rules on this, but it's an elegant way to handle it even if it's not as simple as like just a normal test. But when it comes to grappling, the reason in my experience, most RPGs have crazy rules for that is because it's just not easy to simulate in a game, even in a narrative way. Right. So, mm-hmm. 
So anyway, um, and the last part of this section too, I love is mounted combat. I cannot wait yep. to get on a horse. Hey, Autocar has a mule. I'm Dude, just saying. Uh, you need to get on that mule and charge way. into combat, buddy. Right. I cannot <laughs> wait for that day to happen. Hey, haw. <laughs> yes. Sound like. Hey, so, so, yeah. Anyway, there's bonuses. Um, you get a plus 20 to hit when you're riding in and, and your bonuses to your charge. Uh, heck, depending on the your the mount you're riding, it might actually get its own attacks, which is very Warhammery, right? Um, there's some extra rules to that though, but it, it's decently simple. Um, yeah, moving on. I think uh, now we're getting to the uh, the 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 most the most talked impo- about rule, right? The most important addition for this system. I and I yeah. would agree with I would have agreed with that before my first actual play, honestly. But I honestly think a pose test is for combat is the most significant change. Yeah, but personally. you, I mean, you can't have an opposed test without having advantage. Like they That's go fair. so hand in hand. That's one, one needs the other. Right. So, and yeah, we found that firsthand when we played because we didn't have the right rules and it was impossible. <laughs> it was like one guy taking on three and he was just annihilating us. That's oh. again, we didn't have the right, like we didn't employ the rules properly then. Right. But, the rules are all there, especially now that we've got the outnumbering addition to this, which we'll get to in a second. So advantage is basically a way of showing when two people are fighting, it's not just one hits, one hits, back and forth, back and forth. If you've hit your opponent several times, you have a significant advantage over them. And that's what how these rules come into play. So there's a couple different ways to gain advantage. If you are surprising your enemies, you'll start with advantage. By charging, which is one of the options you have in combat, you gain advantage. Victory in combat, even winning combat, which is just being successful in an opposed test, is going to give you advantage. And for every point of advantage you have, you gain plus ten percent on the next check that you make, or the next roll that you make. Which, every which roll is you make, huge, powerful, because you can build that advantage up. Right. If you get attacked multiple times in a round by several people, you just keep building that advantage, and then you could be devastating on your counterattack. Great. I'm getting, in addition to whatever I roll in my normal success level, I'm getting an extra, I have five advantage. That's plus 50, essentially plus five success level. So not only is it going to make it much more probable that I'm going to win this opposed test in combat, it is making it way more probable that I'm going to cause massive damage when I do. So it can very much be a snowballing effect. And to that, they give this optional rule, which was not in the original preview copy of the rules. And the optional rule is talking about limiting advantage. There's there's a couple different ways they suggest it. Um, you can just cap it. Like Advantage can be capped at pick a number, right? What you and your players think is... Yeah, we didn't put a hard limit on it when we or while we've been playing. But I think a great way to do it would just be to use a six out of die, right? You, right. You take, yep. Because at plus 60, that is an enormous... If you're not winning... And a right. post test at plus 60, you are right. in the wrong fight, my friend. Right. So using a six-sided die means you can just roll that up to the next digit. Um, and if you lose it all, you just set it aside. And I'm honestly, in in a few combats we've run, I'm not convinced that that is the way I'm going to end up wanting to land. The other one that they have here is initiative bonus cap. So depending on your individual character, what their initiative bonus is, is your your individual cap. Originally, I just kind of did not like that idea because it's just, it's another thing to keep track of. And I already got enough to keep track of, right? But 
it makes a much smaller number and it makes someone that's really fast in combat, it makes sense that they might be able to get in there quicker and do more damage and things right. like that. So it, it might, I don't know, I'm toying with the idea of trying that out more and seeing which I like better. And the, there are some people out there that are like, no, absolutely. There are ways to mitigate advantage. And, and there are, and we're going to talk about those, but you don't need a, a cap on it. I don't know. So far, my my belief is is I I feel like I need a cap, but I'm not sure where that cap is. Like if that cap is at ten, if it's at six, if sure. it's initiative bonus, what it is, I'm not sure. But I feel like at some point, all of your mitigating factors, you know, I can't be pulling a resilience point in every major combat. Or you know, right? But who knows? Maybe I'm in combat too much. Right? Yeah. Well, and using a die as a way to track that, you could use, I mean, heck, you could use a 20-sided die, and that's fair. that'd be a heck of a battle, let me tell you. <laughs> right. But uh, Time to get out the D4, GM. Right. <laughs> so one of the rules that was left out of the, uh, we'll call it the beta version of the rulebook, is outnumbering. That is definitely in there now, and it is very important. Basically, outnumbering is if you outnumber your opponent two to one, then you gain a plus 20 bonus to hit your opponent in melee combat which is huge and would have completely changed the combat that we had. We did not have the, that rule. So we, we missed that, but that is definitely in there now. Definitely very important to keep track of if you are either outnumbering or oh, definitely helps. being outnumbered. Yeah. Right. So I, I think there's a couple of ways I want to mention because the whole advantage debate has been almost as big as the RLs overpowered debate online. And, um, I, I don't know if, if you're not aware and you've run your first combat and you're like, oh my gosh, this is broken. This is, is not working right. Then, so unfortunately, the system does have a little bit of crunch to it. Like, uh, we, when we say crunch, if you're new to role playing, that essentially means it has more rules to try to remember and keep a track of than other systems, which we would say like maybe have a smaller amount of crunch. I, I agree with a lot of people out there that say that 4th edition would qualify as a medium amount of crunch for a role-playing game, and I would agree with that. Um, it's not super heavy, uh, so like some games out there, but um, there is some. And I think it's important as a player to know what resources you have in order to combat the out-of-control advantage. Right. Number one. If you take any sort of damage at all, you lose all your advantage. That means ranged attacks, which are not opposed, generally, unless there's a shield involved, you're going to have... That's uh, your best chance. Right. It's just because you don't have to worry about the advantage they're going to get in their opposed test. You just roll off your basic skill. You get one wound through, then that's enough. The other thing is a resilience. You can spend a point of resilience, and we'll get into this more, but it's basically an auto-win. And again, if you win, you cause damage, they automatically lose all their advantage, right. and you get some advantage. Again, resilience is a very precious resource, as we'll talk about in a little bit, um, so you don't want to do that lightly, but is another thing. Obviously, right. you can mitigate your rolls with fate to get re-rolls, or fortune, rather, to get your re-rolls, and there's some other little ways like that. Um, you know, Outnumbering is another way, right? Try to plan outnumber because you lose advantage every turn that you're outnumbered. You know, so those are those are ways to mitigate those. So just keep those in mind. Very cool. All right, next thing we're going to talk about is moving. So there's quite a few different ways of moving, both in and out of combat. Each character, as part of the race that you pick, you're going to have a number of movement uh, that is going to be going to determine both a single number for your movement 
is going to determine the number of yards you can walk and the number of yards you can run. So a couple of different ways that you can move. Charging, we already talked about a little bit ago in that when you charge, you one of the things you gain is advantage. You One advantage for your attack and potentially for multiple attacks if you don't uh, lose that. Another one is disengaging. This is where um, you can either use advantage to disengage or dodge, which is an opposed check, an opposed dodge melee test. Uh, if you succeed, you gain one advantage as well. So other forms of moving are fleeing, running, which is uh, plus 20 to your athletics, uh, and climbing. In addition, there are other ways of moving that aren't just walking around. There's leaping and falling. Falling damage is always super fun. My character in our actual play, his doomed prophecy says that he will fall from a great height and die. So I'm going to be looking for opportunities. <laughs> Lance, I'm winking at you right now so that you can make me cross so, a large like, I need rickety a, bridge of some sort. I need a chasm that needs to be jumped across as just barely enough that I could make it with a good enough roll, but probably won't. Right. <laughs> Fair enough. So the other thing we want to talk about is conditions, which are different things that your character can... I don't even know how to put it necessarily. Like, They're just effects, ways that your character is affected. Right. Like it's but nice good and bad. Don't necessarily think of it as a bad thing always because... Except a blaze. A, well, a blaze <laughs> and broken, deafened, fatigued, poisoned. Those are all... Okay, those are all so, bad. So <laughs> pretty much all of yeah. them are bad. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Unless you intend to be prone, right? And I sometimes guess that's fair. There's times or I wish I was unconscious. If you're so. trying to scare some goblins yeah. in a cave or something. So there you go. There you go. See? Good. I like, I like your guy's spin on that. So Let's see if I can give you some ablaze. And- spe- yes. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we'll do it ourselves if you give us a long enough time. Like, you right. didn't need to help us catch ourselves. I, I, I don't need to give you a blaze. I just need to give you lantern oil. Right. <laughs> we came real close. All so, right. So there's a bunch in here, a bunch of conditions. My favorite, it, it has to be a blaze because that just, it just sounds it, great. Yeah. I love the idea of using that in a, in a game for sure. Right. What about you, Steve? Do you have a favorite condition? Uh, that's actually my favorite too, Ablaze. I mean, I've, I've been on fire one time briefly, so that scared some people. <laughs> so, real life. <laughs> like, there you go. <laughs> there you go. I, I know. It works. Like, oh, I'm sorry, GM. That's not how it actually works. <laughs> my favorite is Bleeding. And it's bleeding. They updated, by the way, from the preview edition, and it is much more deadly. You test for every bleeding condition or at the end of every round. And for every bleeding condition you have, you have a 10% chance to die. Just straight up die. Not roll on a critical table. Nothing like else. <laughs> just die. Great. There are different criticals out there that receive two bleeding conditions. That means at the end of every single round of combat you have a 20% chance to straight up die. I hope you have some some fate points. Because, yeah, I was about to mention that. Oh, I love it. I yeah. can't. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Oh, for sure. Bleeding is, is crazy. So, <laughs> uh, And this brings us to fate and fortune, my favorite. I try to stack these, uh, these conditions as much as possible <laughs> for my character. Picture your face should be in this rule book. Under this. <laughs> yeah, it should be. <laughs> My thumbs up, like, yes, fate. All right, fate and fortune. Basically, they're hand-in-hand. Hand. Your fortune's determined by your fate. We'll start off with fate. Basically, if you get into a position where you're dead, if you have fate points, this is the time to spend them. Uh, you have 
two options. You can die another day. Basically, you're done with the combat. You're just out the picture for this adventure for right now. You'll reappear some other time. Yeah. GM gets get to, gets to be creative. Maybe you get captured. Maybe you float down the river and get washed up barely alive. You know, yep. something like that. And uh, the other one is, how did that miss? You know, just at that one time where you would have been hit by that killer arrow, it just so happens to go through your collarbone. Yeah. <laughs> Or through your, cor- your through your courtly garb instead of your <laughs> exactly. your arm. GMs, GMs, I'm going to give you some advice because I think about this all the time when I look at how fate can be used. Don't think of fate as a I got out of dying card. Think of fate as to give your players an opportunity. Well, actually, I know you really want to finish off this villain you've been chasing forever and he just got like a big blow on you. Sure, you can do die another day, but you know, we could just spend a fate point and just make his last attack miss and then you have another attack coming up. And oh my gosh, just think about that. How evil, how evil for you to pass up the chance to use your fate point to survive another day to instead have them miss and then have you miss your follow-up killing blow and then get hit again to die where now you're bending two fate points. Like, I just feel so evil talking about it. (laughs) Sounds great. Steve, please do not forget what he just said. He's literally (laughs) going to try to coerce us into using more fate. What, you guys know I cur- was it worth you the third corruption. <laughs> corruption. Yeah. <laughs> uh, besides fates, of course, that's critical. If you have to use them, try not to, because they are very hard to get back. Fortune's nice because it reflects your fate points. So if you have four fate points every day, you get four fortune points. Of course, like I just said, I like to stack them so my character I get as many re rolls as possible during the day because they refresh. Remember that. Yes. Rem- yeah, yeah, just yeah, like you said, session. remember uh, that. Yeah. because There are skills to increase your fortune points, which I suggest you do, especially if you have a GM that's really tough on you. <laughs> you might need them more, but fortune points are for re-rolling a failed test. Sometimes you just miss that critical roll, re-roll. You can add plus one success level to a test after it has been rolled. This is critical too. If you're facing a big bad guy, you know you're going to take him out, but you missed it by one. This will help. Or you can uh, choose one to go in initiative uh, for one round. Um, I don't use that option very much. Yeah, or the plus one success level. Yeah, or but the plus one. I honestly yeah. forget about the plus ones because I just kind of think of I, fortune as a re-roll. I did use it one time the last time, I believe. Oh, did you? That, I don't even that remember. That helped because we were 0-0 zero, zero, and it helped me win. Right. Going back to regaining fate and fortune, like I said, fate's really hard to regain. You got to do some extraordinary things, maybe finish an adventure, uh, do something very heroic, kill a big beast. That's pretty much up to your GM to determine. With fortune, like I said, it refreshes every day. So don't be skimpy with using them because, like I said, if you can make it to the next day, they refresh. It's wonderful. But in going back with the fate and fortune, the more you use your fate points, the less fortune you have. So it's very critical. Don't use your fate unless you have to. Right. It affects your daily rerolls. Yeah. <laughs> this, this coming from the guy yes. that fighting what some a couple goblins or a single orc or something blew through two fate points in, in like a single combat. Yes, did. <laughs> but that second edition, much deadlier. Yeah. I actually, that was a I heck think, of a session, though. I mean, it was really good. I it think was. fourth edition is much deadlier. I really do. I mean, we haven't experienced it yet. I think it's much quicker and more fun. But I don't, man, I'm waiting. The first time somebody gets a bleeding condition, you guys are gonna be sweating bullets. I just know it. It's coming. Anyway, sorry. Well, let's move on. Um, resilience and resolve. 
resilience and resolve are your other two we call meta currencies, right? Resilience is kind of like fate in the fact that it is an extremely rare resource and resolve is derived from resilience, meaning resolve is determined by the number of resilience you have. Now, resilience has two really cool ways you can spend it. First is the I deny you. And this is basically a way, a, a, I like to think of it as a get out of jail from mutation card, right? So you fail a mutation check or whatever, or, um, you know, a willpower check, you get that mutation, you can say, not this time, I'm going to spend a resilience point. It just doesn't happen. The other one that you can use it is I will not fail. And this is where I was talking about before when we're talking about combat and some ways to mitigate advantage, right? If you must hit that enemy, that big bad guy, and by hitting them, damaging them, making them lose all their advantage, this is one way you can do it. Spend a resilience point. And what happens is you can choose the number that of the test you win by. So you can essentially, whatever test you're taking, you can choose what you roll on the die, for lack of a better term. Or if it's an opposed test, you just automatically win by one success level. Even if you're fighting that dragon that, you know, somehow built up enough advantage where it's rolling 110, you can choose to win by one success level regardless. So two excellent ways to spend resilience. Now, resolve is a little more psychology-based, if you will. So you can use it in a couple different ways. You can spend a resolve point to get one round where you're immune to psychology. So there are things like fear and terror in this game that are crazy powerful that can do some crazy stuff to you we'll get to that later but you can spend a point of resolve to just ignore that like and that might make all the difference for for one round you can get rid of it and survive the dragon if you will or at least the terror from the dragon you can also uh spend one point of resolve to ignore any modifiers from crits uh depending on the crits that you have and the modifiers that are that are coming into with that you can use some resolve to ignore those and you can remove one condition. So remember how we we're talking about ablaze or bleeding conditions? Right. Yeah. When there's nobody around, your your buddies are too busy fighting that demon to come back and try to pick your unconscious bleeding body off the off the ground to heal you. Maybe it's time to spend a point of resolve so that you don't have to spend a point of yep. fate. Just gotta survive the combat. <laughs> right. <laughs> so that's huge. Now regaining resilience and resolve is not simple. You regain resilience only for an act of extreme importance to your motivation. So you, you create a motivation when you create your character, the GM, and you can figure out when that happens, but you only get it back when they says extreme importance. So that's definitely, it doesn't happen very often. Resolve is actually similar, but it's less strict. You get a point of resolve when you have acted in accordance to your motivation. So again, that's something where you might have to remind your GM or talk to them like, hey, this is I'm doing this in my motivation. And if they determine it, you know, it's enough, then you can get a point of resolve back. It's a little bit easier to get resolve back, similar to like it's easier to get fortune back, but it's very difficult to get resilience. So again, keep an eye on those and, and use those those yeah. resources wisely. Right. They are of crucial importance and, and planning it, right? We kind of mentioned right. a little bit about fate and fortune. If you're coming to the end of an adventure and you still have some fortune points or resolve points left, you could spend those because they're going to come right back. But resilience and fate, that's that's important stuff. That's where you want to hang on to those whenever you can. Right. So it wouldn't be the old world if we didn't talk about injury and ways of being <laughs> wounded, critical injuries, and death, of course. So 
anytime you take damage, it is going to be translated in a number of wounds. Each character, again, based on your species or on your race, you are going to have a certain number of wounds. That's also factored in with your toughness bonus as well. So if you lose all of your wounds you've collected, you end up becoming prone. So you're basically overwhelmed by your injuries, so you drop to the ground. If you don't gain back one wound or are healed uh, up to one wound, when the number of rounds equal to your toughness bonus, then you pass out and become unconscious. And this is where death will soon come if you are not healed or if you don't spend a fate point. Right. So if you take the unconscious condition and have zero wounds, you compare your critical injuries to your toughness bonus. If you have more critical injuries than your toughness bonus, you're dead. Booyah. Yes. The GM did a good job. That's all she wrote. Well, and here's the thing. like In a lot of ways, it could be easier to die from bleeding than it can from like just getting more criticals, right? Those criticals can stack up, yes. But the chances are you're going to end up unconscious or there's a chance for a coup de grace. Somebody might kill you when you're down and unconscious. Like That's just an automatic thing. So that's why I think bleeding is so much more devastating because almost all of the major hits on the crit charts include bleeding. Right, which we're going to talk about right now. And just glancing through the five pages worth of critical tables. Oh, it's so good. So good. There's so much good stuff in here. And I love how... Things that Matt loves in yes. RPGs. Tables, yes. Also <laughs> ways to get uh, get horribly wounded. So there are 20 different head criticals. <laughs> They're so good. They so are. these all come with a number of wounds. So the higher you roll on the critical table, the more wounds you're going to be getting. And also the higher, the worse it's going to get. So if you roll low on a head critical, it's just going to be like a minor cut, basically a dramatic injury. Uh, whereas if you roll 100 on that table, you are decapitated and are dead, which is great. <laughs> so Welcome we, to the old world, guys. We, we could and, nay, we will go through these much more in-depth on a later date when we talk about critical injuries. But I think we could talk about a couple that we really like. Oh, for sure. I want to go first on this one. By all means. All right. So here, here's what we got. Uh, head critical, mangled jaw. This thing is nasty. It's 97 to 99 on the chart, and I'm just going to read this thing. The blow almost removes your jaw and is as it utterly destroys your tongue, sending teeth flying in a shower of blood. Gain four bleeding. Which that means 40%, 40% chance, chance every round yeah. of just dying. Three stunned conditions. Make a very hard endurance test or also get unconscious. Suffer broken bone major injury. Lose your tongue and one D10 teeth. You know, and here's the thing. Oh, by the way, you also get an extra five wounds. People might be upset that, you know, there's so many, so many little rules in this rule book. I, this is great. Yes. (laughs) I, and that's going to actually lead into my favorite. I liked smash mouth too, smashed mouth, but I feel like the mangle jaw is just as good. My favorite is brutal dismemberment, which is a, only when you roll a hundred on the body chart, uh, or no, is it body chart? Yeah, it's my, no, it's, no, it's arm. arm chart. Yeah. And I will read it. It, it results in death. Your arm is severed, spraying arterial blood, one D 10 feet in a random direction, <laughs> which, which is determined via the scatter table. So at the same time, you blind your rules enemies. for <laughs> the distance and direction of blood splatter when severing an arm. I 
feel like I should repeat that because it's so amazing. <laughs> and as a, as a, somebody who jams games, I read this and I'm like, man, I'm going to, I'm going to give somebody the perfect opportunity to sever an arm so that I can say, okay, roll me a D 10. All right. There's arterial blood is showering oh. eight yards in that direction. Oh man. Yeah. That one's crazy. What about you, Steve? <laughs> Mine's on the arm critical wounds charts. Uh, severed finger. If you roll 81 to 85, uh, you lose four wounds and basically you gape in horror as a finger flies. Uh, gain a bleeding condition. So it's not too bad, but you can have a story afterwards. You know, oh, you see this finger? Right. No, sir, I don't. I, that's because I'm a fighter. That's right. Also, there's a 10% chance every round of you dying because of the bleeding because condition. Because your finger is bleeding. Because your finger is somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> one, one of my groups actually severed a finger and carried it with them for multiple sessions. They put it in a bag. There we so, go. Perfect way to get that going. Welcome to the old world. We should just, maybe that's what we call this our, this episode. Welcome to the old world. Yeah. Yeah. You're not kidding. Woo. So and there's, there's, there's so much more in here too. So you mentioned uh, you suffer a broken bone if your jaw gets uh, snapped off, mangled. There's rules in here. I won't get too deep into them, but major and minor broken bones. You can have major and minor torn muscles, you know, based on whether it's major or minor is obviously going to be, you know show you the severity of what happened. There's rules for amputated parts, which is great. Again, when I read stuff like this, I think about how I'm going to plan adventure around it, how I can put my crew in a group or in a situation where like, maybe they should amputate that foot. Maybe it's important. And <laughs> right. Sure enough, I can look right on here and see all of the stats that that's going to change and all the effects right. that we'll have in game. Super fun. It's awesome. And like you said, the, like it seems like it's rule heavy, but these rules come up specifically when they come up. Yes. They, they're, gonna, they're not they're not intended to be the rules that you're going to know off the top of your head, right? right? These are the kind that you want to book dive for, right? And they're here, they're concise, they're thematic, they make sense, which is great. And to be fair, like by the time like you're going to really worry about like ninety percent of this, you're either dead or right, or or it might be time to retire the character anyway. Right, 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 right. <laughs> So I guess that we wouldn't, shouldn't talk about all this horrible ways of being injured and dismembered without talking about how you can heal yourself. Wait, you can heal? I suppose. <laughs> so probably the most common way you're going to heal is without medical attention. And that is just taking an endurance test after a good night's sleep once a day. And you basically heal wounds equal to your success level plus your toughness bonus. So those are going to be healing your minor aches, pains, bruises, little cuts here and there. That's not going to fix your mangled jaw, but right. And healing, there is a heal skill, right? But it's an advanced skill, and we talked about that last time. I mean, you're in, let's say, cave with goblins, and you're down there for a while, and you are hurting. The only way you're going to heal if you don't have someone with that skill or some magic is get a good night's rest. Good luck convincing the GM you're going to do that in that right. cave. Right. <laughs> so we've also got rules for surgery, which I suppose if you had your, if you somehow survived having your jaw ripped off your face, oh. you're going to need surgery. And if you think any form of surgery nowadays is bad, imagine surgery in the old world. Oh my I, gosh. I think like a lot of cauterizing, unsharpened and axe and, <laughs> and like a, you know, just a bottle of whiskey and or whatever the strongest you can get is. Hot iron. Yeah. <laughs> Bugmans. Bugmans. That's right. No one would waste Bugmans on medical. 
<laughs> somebody <laughs> that's surely gonna die right. anyways. No, I'm pretty sure Dwarf would probably put them to death for trying it anyway. All right. Oh man. There are some other great uh, tidbits in this section, including rules on drowning, suffocation, exposure to heat and cold, and suffering from lack of water and uh, thirst and starvation. I encourage all of you to take a closer look at that because, again, those are really fun. And you, they're not the kind of things you need to go, need to pull up very often. But you know, if you're working on an adventure and and some portion of that's going to be set in an arid wasteland or a desert, then hey keep track of those rules and use them for that session. You right. may never use them again, but that session, they're going to be really important for right? sure. And add to the theme and the ambiance of the whole situation. All right. We're going to move on to corruption in this game. Mm-hmm. I hear Lance. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say them. <laughs> so, uh, corruption, you can gain it, uh, pretty much is based off your GM kind of asking you if you, if you run out of maybe fortune points and you still need to make a roll, do you want to gain a corruption point to re-roll? You know, these are kind of, they're going to happen throughout your game, but gaining corruption points, there's dark deals. Like I said, if you really want to make that re-roll or something to happen, you know, he may entice you, hey, I'll give you a corruption point, but you get that re-roll, you get what you want, but it's going to cost you. Right, the, the dark gods of chaos want you to try again. You can accept their help just this one time. Just this one time. Just this one time. Uh, there's other corrupting influences. Sometimes it's not your choice. Sometimes the GM might throw you into a demonic temple, and just being around the area, it's going to corrupt you. There's minor exposure, moderate exposure, major exposure. You know That goes from just witnessing a lesser demon all the way to a major where you witness a greater demon. So, so witness, just witness. Yeah, just witnessing. You just, you just have to see it. Just be around. You don't have to beat it or even get hit by it or even be noticed by it. You just have to see it. (laughs) And this goes on to corrupting. Uh, Each player has a corruption threshold. Uh, This is pretty much determined uh, by your... It's a strength bonus plus toughness bonus, I believe. I thought it was a willpower bonus plus toughness bonus. Probably. Willpower plus toughness. All right, I've been doing that wrong for a while now. So it's willpower. Bonus. I'm really surprised you didn't know that by heart. I'm pretty sure you recite our I've corruption thresholds in you your sleep. Corrected your muahahas. Yeah, right. So basically, if you pass that corruption threshold, uh, when you gain more corruption points in your weapon, your willpower bonus plus your toughness bonus, uh, there's going to be some consequences. Uh, these consequences can be, well, they're all bad in some way, but some at least give you a bonus. <laughs> In some sort of way. Uh, once you reach that level, you're going to be rolling on a chart. There's physical corruption table, and there's a mental corruption table. But we'll get to, we'll start with the physical corruption. Uh, Jens, do you have a favorite physical corruption? Yeah, uh, glowing skin. It's just effective light of a candle. Your whole body is like a, a light source. Just think about that. Like, it, it, so many things on this table are like, well, that's actually useful. This is like a bonus, right? That's what's great, right? Because right. you could sell that to your players too. Like, right. Hey, you know what? You you could get plus ten to that dexterity if you have distended digits. Like, right. oh, you want some extra bonus to your dexterity characteristic? Well, right. you might roll it. You never know. You might also get uh, a whiskered snout, for right. example. <laughs> and and almost every single thing on this table is is essentially a death sentence if discovered at any village or town in the empire. It sure is. 
Or better not have a witch hunter in the area even hear about you. <laughs> See, my favorite physical corruption would be iron skin. Uh, yeah. You get plus two armor points to all locations. Goodness. Unfortunately, you're minus 10 for agility, which agility is used a lot, but still having that extra armor points everywhere. Yeah. Very, very handy. Mine on this table is was an easy choice, and it is inverted face. <laughs> Negative 20 to all fellowship tests. <laughs> yeah. Inverted face. <laughs> I mean, I just, I can't even picture that without just being so happy that that, <laughs> that those words are in this book. There are some other good ones, though. Fleshy tentacles, weeping pus, yeah. thorny scales. I, I Weeping pus. Absolutely know why you push corruption on us all the time. Oh, I can't wait. I cannot wait until somebody gets to roll on this you table. You can't wait. I can't wait to roll on this table. <laughs> Mark my words. When I hear you say you can take corruption, I'm just going to take it for you. <laughs> You mean to tell me I could invert my face? Let's do this. Let's do this. (laughs) What do you guys have for your favorite for the mental corruption? This one was easy for me. Chaotic dreams. Like I again, as a GM, I feel like there's just so much potential there for me. Like I wouldn't just like all right, chaotic dreams. Like you get fatigued first two hours of every day. Okay, no, no, no. Every day. Think about how horrible sleep would be. I know, right? Like, and, and and but I would also be explaining those dreams it, it, it is immediate fodder for me to just story hook after story hook after story yeah. hook after oh, start having story those dreams hook. be yeah. premonitions yeah also there's so much stuff you could do with this and in addition to making your character be a lot less effective in the early mornings like all of a sudden you're being woke up early in the morning by an ambush oh wait you're fatigued man like yeah <laughs> like yeah. i guess that's a mean move for me but like i'm just saying that's a I don't know. That was my favorite. Mine is unending malice. And that gives you a negative 10 to any test where you are not hurting somebody. Right. And a plus 10 for when you are hurting somebody. Helpful in combat. I mean, so (laughs) cool. You just, you just are so consumed with hate that you must inflict damage on everything you do. Mine is profane urgency. While you are Minus 10 willpower, you get plus 10 agility, so kind of yeah, helps for some rolls, at the very least. It's it's just so cool. Suspicious Mind was another one that's kind of like that, too, which I think is cool. All right. Um, so once you get corruption points, uh, there are certain ways to lose them. Uh, one is Dark Whispers, which I can see players doing. The GM may ask you to spend or, or lose one of your corruption points if you help the enemy. Uh, you may happen to let an enemy escape this time or accidentally shooting an ally, which I wonder if Lance lost a corruption point when he shot me. <laughs> or falling asleep on watch to Pretty let sure that goblin patrol pass where they by. they said you must shoot your... <laughs> right. No, I I think I volunteered it. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, the the GM stopped us. Said, "Oh no, you don't want to, you. If you do that, you might shoot your your friend over here. You don't want to do that." And you were like, "No, I want to do that. It's worth a risk." <laughs> I mean, well, granted, the arrow went through the bad guy, then hit me. Right. <laughs> uh, and awesome. also to lose corruption points, there's absolution. This is pretty big. This could be kind of an adventure unto itself. Maybe clear occultist den. Mm-hmm. Uh, things like, like that might absolve you from your corruption points, uh, depending on how the GM wants it or determines. But doing things, you know, like there's a 
profession priest, just doing your priestly ways, right? Uh, getting rid of a lesser demon, so on and so forth. You know, I mean, how great is that? Like, as a story, right? The priest that is trying so hard to absolve themselves when they have like a tentacle hand that they're desperately trying to hide, right? Why does that priest always wear a glove? Now we know, right. tentacled hand. <laughs> oh man. So I think this is going to bring us to the next, probably one of my favorite parts of this book, definitely up there with corruption, is disease and infection. Man, basically... Reading through these, I'll tell you one thing. I do not want to live in the old world. (laughs) If reading this book up to this point is reason enough, this puts it over the top. Right. Some of these are the last thing I would want to happen to me. I'd rather have a severed finger than... Right? You're not kidding. Basically, how this part of the chapter works is it says, hey, here's a list of diseases. And each disease section has, like, here's how you contract it. Here's its incubation period. Here's how long it lasts. And here's a list of its symptoms. And then it gives you a description of it. And then what you can do is once you figure out, you can roll. Like, for example, if something might have 1D 10 days. Well, you know, the incubation duration is 1D 10 days. So you might get lucky and... And it'll only stay around for a day, right? And it won't be that big a deal. Or it might be something different. But then you have your symptoms. And the symptoms are a whole list of... Think of it as like conditions for your disease. And I'm not going to go through all the symptoms and stuff. But, I mean, things like malaise and wounded and lingering, which is a way for, oh, you thought it was done? Nope, roll again. Let's see if it see comes if it back. it comes back. Yep. Right. And just uh, so many cool things. And again, this is one of those areas where I go, well, yeah, it's kind of rules heavy. But again, you're only looking at this when you contract it and deal with it. And then, you yeah. know, it's when, not when like you've you got need a to memorize gangrene limb right. or something. Yeah, and you'll definitely remember these if you get them. I mean, some of the names, blood rot, the bloody right. flux, galloping trots. And blood rot. <laughs> galloping trots. Yeah, galloping <laughs> Blood so rot good. is really deadly. That's another, like, it's like bleeding in the way that blood rot can kill you. Like, if you don't take care of it, you will die. Yeah, so actually, gentlemen, I want to hear uh, what are some of your favorite <laughs> some of your favorite disease and infection? What you got a favorite, Matt? Uh, it's the bloody flux. Yes. And uh, again, I I it's just it's great. I think and we read this finding one. a way yeah. to give this to one of my players and just thinking about the the hilarious ways that that would affect them in game, it's just it warms my heart. Right. No, I'm I am right there with you. Exact same. Bloody flux. Oh, it's, it is the, the most hilarious, and I mean, hilarious, right? But, but I mean, old world, right? It's kind of got that sense of humor in the game, too. Well, you're right. And I love the way that they, they present it. Right. right? The, the first sentence, there's a rumble and a grumble, and you're off to yet another sprint to the splattered outhouse. Like, if that doesn't tell you exactly, <laughs> exactly. what this is... <laughs> And the word bloody is in there? I mean, it's... Come on. Yeah, and and that's just the description of flux, which is one of the many... Right. Because bloody flux has a whole bunch of uh, symptoms that go with it. Flux, lingering, which means it'll come back. Fever, malaise, and nausea. Oh, man. Oh, wow. What what about you, Steve? Uh, Mine's galloping trots. (laughs) It's not so bad as bloody flux, but pretty much the same deal. (laughs) So hilarious. It's so good. I actually, I quite frankly, I think we've read this before and you just started reading. I think we just need to read the flux. This is, this is hilarious. Pale and weary, you've had better days. 
any given situation may be the moment when you just have to go to the privy. You are expected to take every opportunity you can pop off for an essential stop, and this is largely left in your hands. In addition, the GM can choose any point during the session's play to claim you need to go. You have a number of rounds equal to your toughness bonus to get to the appropriate place to relieve yourself. Whether you get there in time or not, your body will empty itself in a spectacular fashion. (laughs) (laughs) Goes on to say you can have it moderate or severe, and if it's severe, you have to go three times per session and you lose a wound every time. You lose a wound? I mean, can you imagine you're fighting a goblin pack and you just crap your pants? I just had to, guys. I can't. Oh, I think it goes beyond crapping your pants. <laughs> right. I'm reading this right. It's way messier. And I want to I want to point out this is just one of what five symptoms that's on bloody flux. Yeah, yep. it's like wow. So, anyway, be careful what you eat and who's touched it and <laughs> where you're going out in the old world. Yeah, if you heard rumors not to go to that little inn and get a bite to eat, better listen. Okay, so let's move on. Psychology. Psychology is almost like conditions in the way that they they work there are certain things that affect your character and they have a bunch of different like different things this is a lot if you're if you played the actual tabletop miniature game of warhammer battles these are a lot frenzy terror fear those types of things are all part of here they've also added prejudice and hatred animosity was another one that they added which again that's in the the games as well but these are these have been around in most warhammer role plays for a while these are different ways that basically have to pass tests or have effects that things that affect you i'm not going to go into all of them uh, they're pretty straightforward but some of these things can cause your your character to break and run away and different things so just check them out. They come into effect at certain ways. The rules will call them out. And they're here for your reference. Some of them are pretty, like, again, terror, for example, can literally make your character run away. I mean, this is a way, a place where you can spend that resolve, right, to avoid this. Keep in mind. Uh, something nice, they actually talk about doing custom psychology, and they make an example of love or a phobia. Like, they just tell you how to make your own psychology effects, which is awesome. And I want to go back to, they talk about making your own diseases as well in the disease and infection chapter well that's clever yeah so like i need to do in a disease that like fits the situation let me pick a few symptoms and they made a mistake they should not given us full reign over <laughs> diseases that we can give have. i have in one of our first sessions you guys all tested and i had a disease i made that really you did not contract you all I remember managed that. to pass it yeah i remember and that test and i saw that glint in your eye of excitement as we were rolling those dice yeah and, and the disappointments when it yes. oh, All right, then moving on. Hey, uh, <laughs> so. Steve, rest assured, that is in his playbook. It'll right. come back. <laughs> oh, yeah. Do not eat that glowing mushroom and yes. that <laughs> album cake. Don't do it, buddy. <laughs> oh, man. Well, we have gone way over what we would normally need to do in any of our shows. Uh, so I think it's time to, to be done, guys. So let's call it. That's the end of our show tonight. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. We hope that you found this fourth edition as exciting as we have and that you get it to your table soon. And be sure to let us know how it goes. Our next episode, we're going to be doing another actual play session so you can join Conrad, Otto, and Lynn as they push their fate and fortune to the limits. In our next discussion episode, we're going to be bringing you the final installment of our three-part review of the Core Rulebook. So be sure to join us for that show. 
So, intrepid listeners, keep in touch. Let us know your questions, feedback, and even show topic suggestions. They're always appreciated. You can contact us multiple ways by checking out our website at www.oldworldpodcast.com, Twitter at Old World Podcast, and Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Old World Podcast. Also, we'd love to hear what you think. Visit iTunes or your preferred podcast service and rate us. Every review helps us reach even more Warhammer fans. All right. Well, this is Lance saying good night. And when your GM is smiling when he's describing food, don't eat it. This is Matt. And I'm going to remind everybody to avoid the bloody flux at all costs. This is Steve. Happy adventuring. If you happen to mutate, hopefully it's one you can hide. This podcast and related website are completely unofficial and are not endorsed by Games Workshop Limited or Cubicle 7 Entertainment. It is intended for educational and informational purposes only. GW Games Workshop, Warhammer, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, and all associated logos, illustrations, images, names, creatures, races, vehicles, locations, weapons, characters, and the distinctive likenesses thereof are registered trademarks of Games Workshop Limited, Cubicle 7 Entertainment, or their respective trademark or copyright holders. All original content of this podcast, including any audio or video information, is the intellectual property of the Old World Podcast and Crimson Tower Studios, LLC.